How are we to live? In light of everything that we've taught over the past number of months uh, regarding the Holy Spirit, as a pastoral team, we really wrestled together and processed through together. How can we take that next step and really speak to how do we invest our lives then in light of all that we have in Christ with the Spirit in us? How can we live in a, in a way that we'll have maximum impact for God in our world? To the question that we uh, have posed in this series, how are we to live? My answer today is courageously, strong in God. You know, it's no coincidence that God planned this weeks ago. We really, as a pastoral team, we worked on this weeks ago, maybe even months ago. I've sort of lost track of time. But God was preparing this ground some time ago, and it's no coincidence that this word on courage is happening today, given everything that's happening around the world. As you would have read in your bulletin insert, and also we sent out an email, and, and Pastor Dave referenced it as well, that there's information on our website. We want to let you know that we are closely monitoring the rapidly changing worldwide coronavirus situation. Anyone in the audience today, I, I should ask you, I, to be honest, I, I'm, I'm less concerned about the virus itself, and I'm more concerned about people's reaction to the virus have any of you braved it and actually gone out to Costco? <laughs> Yoisers. I don't know if you saw the, I saw a, a, a picture floating around, and if you've never seen the movie Slapshot, please do not watch it. But I saw this picture of the Hanson brothers, you know, hockey players. If you've never seen it, it's, it's hockey players. And there was a picture of all of them with black eyes and their, you know, noses were bleeding and they were quite beaten up. And the caption at the bottom said something to the effect of, just got back from Costco. <laughs> it's a dangerous, dangerous world out there today. Let me tell you. I don't know if any of you, I don't know, do any of you feel like you weren't successful at Costco? Do you feel like you're running low on any supplies? Any hands in the room today? We want to be generous with you today. Yeah, man, here you go. Excellent. You're welcome. And later, before you go, if you need a square of uh, Clorox, I could provide that to you as well. You know, I actually, some of the people who are hoarding all of these items, I, I've heard that it's not even so much that they're afraid themselves, but that they're taking it as a, a you know, an, an opportunity for capitalism, you know, filling their trunk and then going door to door and, you know, neighborhood to neighborhood and kind of being like a dealer, like, Psst, we've got some, you know, you need some, we could sell you some for, you know, a huge markup. So anyways, hopefully you're, you're well stocked for what's, what's to come. And as believers in Jesus Christ, obviously we have the privilege to respond from a position of peace, knowing that Jesus doesn't come to steal, kill, and destroy. He comes to give us life and to give it to the full, abundant life, as John 10, 10 says to us. His perfect love demonstrated on the cross of Calvary, it casts out all fear. As you consider the people around the world, I want us to just take a moment, even right now in the middle of this service, just to pray in a moment. As we consider all of the people that are being displaced or who are negatively affected by COVID-19, we want to pray as Jesus taught us to pray for his kingdom to come and his will to be done on earth as it is in heaven, for his miraculous power to flow. In the U.S., 
They called for a national day of prayer. What an excellent idea. And although I heard, you know, President Trump, he got a test and he's negative, praise the Lord for that, we know in our own country that our Prime Minister's wife, Sophie, is positive with the virus. So why don't we pray for her and all of the people that she represents around the world, that we would set aside politics and remember that we serve a king who's in heaven, who rules above it all. So let's just pray. God, we're thankful for the power of your blood, the precious blood of the lamb. And God, we partner with your spirit We're not going to partner with the wrong kingdom of fear. That is faith in the wrong God. We are going to put our faith in Jesus Christ and and his shed blood on the cross. And by your spirit, Lord, we just pray for miraculous interventions around the world, including today in Ottawa, Lord. We pray for Sophie Trudeau, God, and everyone that she represents across the globe. Lord, we pray for your miraculous intervention, that she would be made well in Jesus' name. Those who are sick, would recover in Jesus' name, and those who are not yet sick, Lord, that there would just be a protection. God, we speak against that virus in Jesus' name. It is nailed to the cross at Calvary. We were healed at the cross, and it is by faith today that we are applying your shed blood into every one of these situations, God. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, we are, the Bible says we are salt and light in this world. And we have the great privilege of stewarding the power of God into every realm of darkness across the planet. We choose faith in Christ over fear. From that position of faith and peace, we also, however, exercise wisdom. As a church, we are keeping a close eye on the recommendations from the Saskatchewan Health Authority, and we will be heeding the warnings of our chief medical officer in this province. We've been told effective Monday that there's a restriction on events with more than 250 people in attendance, so stay tuned in this upcoming week. There will be some changes that will be coming, I'm sure, but we will process that together. We will be prayerful about it, believing in the power of the blood of Jesus, and we will also be following the smart input from our chief medical officer. We don't just go either way, do we? No, I'm going to believe in Jesus and I can drive my car as fast as I want to because he'll protect me. No, I follow the speed limit with my car because wise people say I will be more likely to stay alive if I don't just gun it as far as fast as I want to. In that same way, we're going to do that with this situation. It is not faith or wisdom. It is faith and wisdom. We believe in the power of the blood of Jesus, but good news for you today, I'll tell you, I also wash my hands. It's not either or, it's both. It will take courage to confront the the fear that can rise in these sorts of moments. Really, how we respond in a pandemic is really just an extension of how our hearts respond to the smaller trials of everyday life. When Pastor Matt Weisbrot and Stephanie preached recently, Steph spoke of the importance of being willing to take risks and step out of her comfort zone as the Lord leads her. She said, life is so much more fulfilling and full of peace when I say yes to God than when I stick to being comfortable. She mentioned when she preached that there was a nervousness that she had about getting up to speak, but she confronted that feeling and was obedient 
to the prompting of the Holy Spirit, even though there was a measure of risk and a measure of fear that she was confronting. There was the possibility of failure in that moment that could create fear in all of us. But Steph faced it, and she preached. If you were here, you'll know that she preached spectacularly. It was fantastic. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is courage. To confront issues that causes fear or anxiety to rise up inside of us and proceed anyway. Psalm 56 and verse 3 says, Whenever I am afraid, I will trust in you. Notice it doesn't say, I will never face moments of fear. Rather, the Bible gives us the antidote for fear and anxiety. Fight back with trust in God. And our acts of courage in the face of fear, it unlocks our chains of anxiety, not only within ourselves, but also for those who are around us, who are watching us. Billy Graham once said, courage is contagious. When a brave man or woman like Steph takes a stand, the spines of others are often stiffened. Psalm 112 says, beginning in verse 1, Praise the Lord, how joyful are those who fear the Lord and delight in obeying His commands. Their children will be successful everywhere. An entire generation of godly people will be blessed. They do not fear bad news. They confidently trust the Lord to care for them. They are confident and fearless and can face their foes triumphantly. One towering example of courage from the Old Testament is David. We know, of course, David was chosen by God to be the king of Israel in the midst of the disastrous reign of King Saul. God lifted his spirit from King Saul and descended upon David. It's important as we read our way through the Old Testament, we remember Jesus had not yet paid the price for sin. His blood had not yet been shed, and the Holy Spirit had not yet been poured out onto all flesh and made available to everyone. That didn't happen until Acts chapter 2. Rather, in the Old Testament, the Spirit of God was limited to particular people for a particular time or a particular task. Now, of course, thanks to the shed blood of Jesus, the Spirit of God, when He comes upon us, it is to remain He will never leave us or forsake us once we accept Christ as our Lord and Savior and have his spirit come upon us. You know, while we're still so close to this issue as well, contrasting the Old Testament to the New Testament, it's probably a good reminder to consider what the difference is between how the Old Testament uh, children of Israel responded to infectious diseases versus how we now, living in the New Testament, respond to infectious diseases. Remember, what did they do with somebody who was a leper in the Old Testament? They would remove them from the community, and they would send them out of the camp. The fear was, if they stayed in amongst the people, you needed to be careful. Don't touch a leper, or you will be made unclean. In the New Testament, though, thanks to the blood of Jesus, that whole power dynamic has shifted. Jesus reached out and touched a leper. It was him saying, you now have the power in you. Touch the leper so that they would be made clean. 
We don't run away from those, those situations. We don't cast people out of the camp. No, we run towards them with the power of God so that they would be made clean. Remember, even like I said earlier, we're going to wash our hands, aren't we? But we're also going to know that as we go out into the community, these hands are like loaded weapons, laying them on the sick to see them recover. So back to David. In 1 Samuel 16 and verse 13, it says, So David, this was, of course, you know the story. The prophet was sent to find the next king of Israel came to this house with David and all of, it was actually all of his brothers that were lined up for the prophet to go down one by one. Is this the next king? No. Is this the next king? No. Is this the next king? Finally gets to the end of the, uh, the line and asks, the prophet asks David's father, well, is this all the sons you have? And he kind of sheepishly said, well, no. I mean, I guess I've got the other one, you know, the, the one other who's out in the field minding, minding my sheep. Well, bring him in. Bring him in to me. And this is where we pick up the story in verse 13. So as David then stood there amongst his brother, Samuel took the flask of olive oil he had brought and anointed David with oil. And the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David from that day on. Our sermons over the, over the winter, they really, we really focused on the Holy Spirit. David's life is another example just like the examples that we uh, followed uh, in the New Testament, such as Stephen or Philip. This is what it looks like. David's life is another example of what it looks like to live with the Spirit of the Lord upon us. In David's case, of course, you would think from this moment where he had the oil poured over his head, you would think that once the Spirit was, was upon him, that he would be fast-tracked into his destiny, fast-tracked onto the throne, promoted quickly. The truth is, however, it took upwards of another 15 years for David to finally achieve that prophetic promise. It begs the question, what can we learn from David's season of waiting to apply to our lives? You've probably heard the old line, you know, brother, when God closes a door, he opens another one. Well, that's, that's true, but sometimes that hallway can be really, really long, 15 years long in David's life. We'll see, though, that in David's life, in that season of waiting, that God was still working in the waiting. The tests and challenges that we face, they reveal the character of God that's already in us, and they refine us then. We grow up and we mature in God. And it gives us that opportunity. Every one of those challenges is almost like a fork in the road. Are you going to follow along uh, the promptings of the Spirit and actually grow in maturity, having godly character uh, rise up in you? Or are you going to take the exit ramp and just stay? You're deciding, if you will, where you're going to level off. God doesn't want us to level off. There is always more in him. But those moments, those are the, the decision points where we face challenges. And David certainly faced challenges. He was known as a mighty warrior, so much so that when he was living in Saul's household, it caused Saul to become jealous and plot to kill him. In fact, there's that story where Saul throws a spear at him, a javelin at him. David had to run for his life 
First, he fled to live amongst the people of Israel, his own people. Eventually, they were even prepared to turn him back over to Saul, and he fled again to live with the Philistines, the enemies of Israel. It was in this season that we see that David began training up, raising up a team of men who would eventually be called David's mighty men. It was a band of misfits and rejects from society that David trained and raised up to be warriors. We know that when David, of course, when he was younger, it was very shortly after he, was, uh, he had that horn of oil poured over his head, it was very shortly thereafter that he actually had the confrontation with Goliath. And we know what happened. Hit him in the head with the rock, knocked him down, and came up afterwards and chopped Goliath's head off with his own sword. David slayed a giant. As he continued to to read about David's mighty men and the conquests that they had, it says that they really slayed many giants. How did they learn how to do that? Well, it's a good principle to live by. You You want to slay and defeat giants? Well, then you better hang around with a few giant killers. That's what David demonstrated for those mighty men to live and to learn from him. He poured his life into them. While David then is is living and fighting amongst the Philistines, their commanders determined that they couldn't trust David because they realized who he really was and they ultimately reject him. David leaves with these now 600 men to return back to their city and as they arrive, they find that it has been raided. Their wives and children had been captured and the city was left in ruins. These men then, these 600 that David had poured his life into, after seeing the the loss of their wives and their families, even they began speaking of killing David. King Saul had rejected David. The Israelites had rejected David. Then even the Philistines, the, the enemies of Israel, rejected David. Remember as you read through the Old, the Old Testament, when you see the, the enemies of Israel rise up, it's a picture for us today in New Testament times of how there are still demonic forces that would oppose God's plan on this earth. We don't wrestle now, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers and principalities and spiritual wickedness in high places. That's why, of course, when we you know, preach or when we do deeper together classes like we've done, we're not teaching you how to you know, work a sling with you know, throwing rocks at people and chopping people's heads off, right? We're talking about how do we, in spiritual terms, bring down strongholds? How do we win spiritual battles? And I want you to see here with David, It's essentially as though even the demonic forces were rejecting David. You know you're having a bad day when even the demons are rejecting you. Everyone is rejecting David. Then, in 1 Samuel 30, beginning in verse 3, it says, When David and his men saw the ruins and realized what had happened to their families, they wept until they could weep no more. David was now in great danger because all his men were very bitter about losing their sons and daughters, and I'm sure in brackets there, their wives as well. And they began to talk of stoning him. But David, this is the part I want you to underline in your Bible, but David found strength in the Lord, his God. This is a moment in David's life where everything that he believes 
is being tested. All the way back to that prophetic word that he had received when the horn of oil was poured over his head, that he would be the next king. In the midst of the total rejection by people, we get the answer to the question, where does David find the strength and courage to go on and face the challenges? And the answer that he found is true for us as well. In the midst of the most severe moments of betrayal and rejection and isolation, how do we respond? Pastor Matt, if you spend any amount of time around him, you'll know that he often uses this phrase or this analogy. You know, when life comes to squeeze you as though you're, you're in a vice and there is pressure coming from every side and you're being squeezed like that, what comes out of you? What gets squeezed out of you? It's in those moments where we're tested and squeezed, if you will, how we respond reveals what we really believe. You know, it's, it's easy to have a, a bumper sticker style, you know, faith in God. Well, I'm just leaning on Jesus, brother. Everything's just so good. God is good all the time, all the time. God is good. We can sort of live in the realm of cliche. And those things can be true, but we find out whether we actually believe they're true or not in those moments of testing when we get squeezed. Is that what comes out of us or was it just a bumper sticker? Did you actually believe it in your heart? And David shows us here, David found strength in the Lord, his God. The Lord was his source of strength and he responded immediately from that position in his heart. That principle, it applies to us as well individually how do I respond in those moments? But it, it also extends to us collectively as a company of believers together. You know, we often talk in this church about the significant uh, prophetic words that have been spoken over us as a body. How do we respond when something or someone appears to be threatening the call of God for this church? You know, as an example, this church will be a healing center We've heard that over and over again. We believe it. But how do we respond when there's a pandemic? Do we respond with faith or do we get into the bomb shelter and hide away in fear? You know, I'll tell you, one way that you can measure your relative maturity in God is to measure the amount of time between when you hear some bit of bad news that could cause fear to rise up in your heart, how long does it actually take you to turn to the Lord to find strength? That whole time in the middle where you're stressing and where you're anxious and where you're wondering, if you will, looking at the worst case scenarios, that length of time, that's telling you your relative maturity level. All of us should be looking to live like David did, where it seems like it was just an immediate response. He turned to the Lord, his God, in that moment. God uses those moments to reveal the state of our heart. He is always good, and he is always gracious in those moments, always giving us the chance to turn to him. There is nothing, if you will, there is no roadblock. There is nothing that could stop us from boldly approaching his throne of grace. The only thing that would slow us down from doing that is our own personal decision. Jesus, by his blood, has made a way so that we can make that immediate turn to him. He is so good, but he's also so good that he won't 
put a, a, like a weight upon us that he knows would crush or destroy us. In those moments of testing and trial, it's, it's, a, it's a bit like we're demonstrating not only the state of our heart, but, but also it's like we're, we're testing our ability to carry the things that he wants us to carry. We're, we're being tested in our load-bearing capacity. It's much like you're getting like a, a spiritual engineer's report in those moments. How strong is your foundation? Could you actually handle it if God had a steady stream of people who needed to be healed from a virus, if they all came to us, how would we respond? Would we scream and run into the basement? Or would we actually say, yes, Lord, I'm going to find my strength in you. Where it doesn't make sense to my natural eye, I'm actually going to partner with your supernatural power in this moment. How much can our foundation hold? James 1 Beginning in verse 2 says, Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for not just joy, but great joy. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. There is really here in the story of David and his, his mighty men, there is a perfect contrasting example between how his men reacted to seeing their city torched and plundered and how David responded. The team... The, his mighty men, if you will, they, the way that they reacted, it's, it's a picture, I think, of what often happens uh, in our world today, especially to our leaders. You know, a team loses, and immediately the coach gets fired. There's often an inability to realize that the problem may be in me and not in my leader. And then if you've been in any sort of a leadership position in your life, you'll know you you often get too much credit when things go well and too much blame when things go poorly. David's mighty men, who, who they really owe their lives to him, they immediately turn to thoughts of killing him. Let's get him. It must be his fault. My wife is gone. My solution to that problem is to kill him. David, on the other hand, responded by turning to the Lord. He had the opportunity in that moment. You can imagine the thoughts that would have been going through his mind as well. He could have gotten angry with those men. I pulled you out of, from the trash heap of society, and I pull, poured my life into you, and this is how you thank me? They could have gotten, he could have gotten very angry in that moment. He could have fled. He could have run away uh, in fear for his life, or he could have even chosen to be angry with God in that moment. You can imagine, you know, upwards of 15 years later, like, Lord, what are you doing? You poured a horn of oil over my head 15 years ago, telling me that I'm going to be the king. And here I am, everyone in my life is rejecting me, including these people that are supposed to be the ones that are closest to me. And my family's been taken away and my city has been left in ruins. What are you doing, God? But he didn't respond that way. He did not get angry with God. In that moment, we see what was really in David's heart as he turned directly to the Lord and found strength and courage. You know, we spoke extensively in our series on the Holy Spirit about hearing God's voice, that it's like a turn-by-turn -turn navigational system. It's a, it's a GPS, if you will. And in verse 8 of 1 Samuel 30, we see David having that kind of a conversation with the Holy Spirit. It says, Then David asked the Lord, Should I chase after this band of raiders? 
Will I catch them? And the Lord told him, yes, go after them. You will surely recover everything that was taken from you. The Lord is the source of David's strength and courage, and it was the voice of the Spirit that emboldened him to confront, firstly, his mighty men with a vision and a plan. Remember, of course, as Christians, we do not create a vision. We receive a vision. It's not just what a pastor wants to accomplish in a church. It's what God wants to accomplish in a church. And ideally, we follow. We follow those prompts and we follow them without delay. David here, he was able to extinguish all of that hostility and anger from his mighty men by communicating a plan. Let's go and get our families back. And he had confidence in that plan because it wasn't his plan. It was God's plan. To the natural eye, even for David to come back and confront those 600 men, let alone saying, let's go after these raiders who have stolen all of our things, it, can, it could seem a little uh, arrogant to think that you would just be able to walk out and have that kind of, a, uh, kind of strength with this team of mighty warriors. It can seem a bit crazy to the natural eye. Confidence can look like arrogance to those who don't know the author of the plan. He was able to confidently step out in that plan because he knew it was God's plan. Go after them and you will recover everything. Everything. And you can imagine, even the mighty men, in that moment, not knowing, is my wife or my kids, are they dead? And you're going to take me out on a trip to go and confront these, these people, these raiders? Tell you, it not only required courage on their part, you're seeing what it looks like. You know, we often talk about, even in leadership, the criticality of having trust between one another. And if we don't trust each other, then I don't really care what your vision is because I'm not going to trust it to follow through on it. Trust is a critical component to a team functioning well. And as soon as trust is eroded, where I can't trust you, then I'm always going to be looking out of the corner of my eye at you. This thing that you're telling me to do, I'm not really sure you know what you're talking about. Are you sure you've actually heard from the Lord on that? David, in this moment, he was actually able to come confidently from that interaction with the Lord, and he was able to sell that vision, if you will, and show, demonstrate to those mighty men that they could go and recover everything together. This is a critical moment in David's life. It's in the very next chapter that King Saul dies and David's promotion to the throne proceeds. It seemed like David was in a, in a moment, like the, the dark night of your soul, if you will, where you can only imagine that in his heart there would have been uh, questions and there would have been potentially, yes, fear and I don't know, darkness, depression, you can add whatever adjective you'd like to there. It seemed like he was seconds away from being killed by these men. But that moment that seemed so dark, it was actually a moment where there was a door opening into his destiny being called into reality, calling all the way back to that promise of promotion that he received when he was called out of his father's field and anointed over a decade earlier. He had learned how to strengthen himself in the Lord. 
We know that that likely happened in large part sort of on the backside of the desert while he was out in a field in obscurity. Nobody knew who he was while he was tending his father's sheep, where he cultivated a relationship with God in the secret place. Psalm 91, beginning in verse 1, says, He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress. My God in Him will I trust. Surely He shall deliver thee from the snare of the fowler and from the noisome pestilence. I was hoping that there would be at least one person in the room that, that could throw me an amen, if for no other reason that I'm reading to you from the King James Version. I'm hoping to add some words into your vocabulary for the week, that as you face the coronavirus, that surely he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the noisome pestilence. Please, if nothing else, you can use that phrase talking about the virus, that noisome pestilence. Jesus went on to say in Matthew 6 and verse 6, he said, but you, when you pray, go into your room and when you have shut your door, pray to your father who is in the secret place and your father who sees in secret will reward you openly. That's what happened to David. He was built up. He created a, an intimacy with his father in heaven when he was out in obscurity. Just he and the Lord. We know even physically God built him up in those moments. He was prepared even for that moment when he faced Goliath. Why? Because he had wrestled the lion and the bear out when there was no one else around, where it was just him and the Lord figuring this thing out. So then when he was out in public in front of that whole army, he had the ability to respond. I'll invite the worship team to come back now. You know, we cultivate a relationship with God in private where we grow in courage and confidence in Him. So when we face the gut-wrenching challenges of life, we know how to return to Him immediately to find strength. And we see now how close David was to that breakthrough, the fulfillment of that promise to be, to be king uh, when he faced that, that angry mob. It was a breakthrough that God had planned not just for, for David, but it was for all of Israel as well. Our blessing, can I just really challenge you, encourage you today, give you courage? When you're blessed, you're blessed to be a blessing. If God pours out any kind of blessing into your life, it's not just for you to hoard. Don't just hoard that mountain of toilet paper. Share it with people. When God blesses you with things, it's to be a positive impact on everyone around you. People should want to be around us as Christians because they know we carry something that they need. The power of God, we sang the song today, there's nothing that our God can't do. If that's actually true, and we're not just singing it because it's a catchy tune, if we actually believe it, well, that should have an impact on the people who are around us. In David's case, that promotion to be the king, it wasn't just for him, it was to benefit all of Israel, to get out from under the tyranny of King Saul and to have God usher in the golden age of Israel through David. His life of obedience 
culminating in this significant moment, it could have been so easily missed if he made a poor decision in that moment. And we know, of course, David was not perfect. He went on to make many sinful choices in his life. But over and over again, we see in his life, he continued to embrace a humility, maintaining a capacity to quickly repent and turn his heart back to God. Can I tell you, when you're interacting with people in your life, including godly leaders, a good question for you to ask them is, tell me the last time you were wrong about something. If you've got someone in your life who always seems to be right about everything, they're never wrong, eh, eh, nah, be careful, be careful, be really careful. I'm teaching a I'm teaching the Deeper Life class. I'm sorry, I called you up here and now I'm making a stand here. Um, I'm teaching the Deeper Life class on how to have a thriving marriage. You know, I found a video that if, if, uh, when we get to the next class, I'm going to find the, I'm going to show that video. Do you ever remember, or, or some of you as old as me and you can remember those moments where Jimmy Swaggart was standing in front of the church and he was crying with his Bible open and he was confessing that he, he had once again been caught going and, and, and uh, uh, being with a prostitute? You have to ask yourself, how could somebody with that much notoriety, with that much strength in God, how was it that he found himself in that kind of a deep, dark, ugly situation? Well, I'm telling you it started with a thought. It started by making decisions that I can only assume the people around him would have seen. That if we don't open ourselves up to to feedback, and we're not open to allow God to bring strength into our lives, also through other people, that we can be in a spot where we can be um, blinded, if you will, where we can have a blind spot in in that area. But we're supposed to have a an impact on the people around us where we can actually demonstrate like David did, when I make a sinful choice and when it becomes, it comes to my attention, that I quickly repent. As a As a leader, one of the leaders in this place, I can't guarantee you that I will always be perfect. But what I will commit to you is that I will do my level best to have a short account with the Lord. And when there is something that the Spirit of God has has, um, made me aware of in my heart, that I want to always be able to demonstrate for you how to go back to the Lord in repentance, to say, I'm sorry, I blew it. Even if I Um, didn't know it in that moment. I'm sorry. I want to turn my heart back to God. And our maturity in God is demonstrated by how quickly we repent and turn back to Him. As a result of David's life of repentance, boy, this thing is going to kill me today. As a result of David's life of repentance, his life, it made a significant lasting impact, so much so that, that God called him a man after his own heart. David had gained such favor in the heart of God that Jesus, our Messiah, God's only son, will be forever known as the son of David. And we have access to the Spirit of God in that same way to cultivate a similar relationship, to, build, to live boldly and courageously, with the Lord being like a, like a well where we draw the water of boldness and courage as we listen to his voice. I want to challenge you today. Examine your heart. Are you finding strength in the Lord? Do you know him that way? Do you know how your initial reactions are to the the bad news of this world? 
Is there fear that rises up? Or is that a moment where you immediately turn to the Lord? There will come a day where circumstances of the circumstances of life, they will squeeze you. When maybe every other crutch that you've ever leaned on, even people who you've leaned on in your life, may not be there. What will come out of you when you get squeezed in those moments? I pray, even in these coming days and weeks, when you watch the news, I pray that you would feel a strength rising in you, that you would know the strength of God in those moments. I promise you, we are carrying the solution to every sickness and disease within us by the power of the Holy Spirit. There are people in your lives that need what you have to be courageous. They need to be encouraged, given courage. And the only way that you and I can give them that courage is if we actually have it ourselves. We can't give away what we don't have. Cultivate that in the secret place. So when you find yourself at work with somebody who needs courage, you'll have it to be able to give away. You can't give away what you yourself don't possess. And even in these days, can I encourage you, encourage you to be proactive with that? Pick up the phone. Think of those people. Allow the Spirit even to bring names to your mind of people who will need to be encouraged in these days ahead, both Christian people and non-Christian people, people who are sick and people who are gripped with fear of getting sick or gripped with fear about any number of a thousand other things. The stock market is tanking. Bring courage to them. Don't worry. We serve a God who owns a cattle on a thousand hills. There's no lack in God's kingdom. He's got so many resources, he's paving the streets of heaven with gold. There's no lack in his kingdom. Now, take sound financial advice too. Don't just listen to Jim. I will tell you, it's probably, talk to your financial advisor. Don't just listen to Jim. It's probably a good time though to buy stock in, what's the company that makes the masks? 3M, you know, Clorox. It's probably a good time. Everything's on sale these days, folks. The stock market is down. It's a, it's a great time to buy. But listen to your financial advisor, not Jim, not Pastor Jim. Why don't you stand together with me as we pray and close our time together. Lord, we are so thankful that we have ready access. We don't have to jump through any hoops. We don't have to crawl on our hands and knees across hot coals to get to you. You are right there. We can boldly approach your throne of grace. And it is easy as saying, Jesus, and he's right there. His spirit is right there with you. Take access. Take that access that he's given you folks. Lord, we're thankful that you're right there. You will never leave us or forsake us. You will be with us forever into eternity. And while we're on this earth, Lord, we want to be good ambassadors. We don't want to partner with the spirit of fear. We want to partner with the spirit of God. So I just pray in Jesus' name, even as we sing this one last song today. I just pray that you would just examine your heart and allow God just to pour in his strength and his grace and his mercy into you today. In Jesus' name, amen.